Good morning. Please rise and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We will bring you one. Anyone need a Bible? Anyone? All right. Wow. Everyone's got a Bible this morning. Train you people well. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look! Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you, that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word this morning, and I just thank you, Lord, for your grace. God, as always, I just pray that you will open up your heart to us, Lord God, that we would just not miss anything of what is in there in your heart. God, give us seeking hearts. Give us asking hearts. Give us knocking hearts, Lord. We would uh, ask that it be given to us. Seek that we may find, knock, that you would open up the door to us, Lord. Just pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that you'd reveal the Father to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Guillermo, I'm getting some feedback here. If you could help that. Matthew chapter 12. Last week we uh, finished up on Matthew 11, verses 27 through 30. Those verses say, I'm just going to repeat those. It says, um, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wanted to start with reading those verses because uh, they really need to be read with the first eight verses of chapter 12. In the first eight verses of chapter 12, Jesus is challenging the dead religion of the day by eating and healing on the Sabbath. 
The word Sabbath in Matthew chapter 12 and the word rest in Matthew, at the end of Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest are really the same words. They're different Greek words, but essentially they have the same meaning. Uh, Jesus could have said in uh, chapter 11, verse 28, 28, come to me and I will give you Sabbath. In Exodus 20, in the Old Testament, when God gave Moses the fourth commandment, he said, six days you shall work, but, the, but set the seventh, the seventh day is the Sabbath. In it you shall do no work, for in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, but he rested on the seventh day. And in the Old Testament, you often find these two words together, Sabbath and rest, Sabbath rest, or Sabbath of rest, really means the same thing. And so in the latter part of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12, uh, they really need to be read together. Remember that the uh, division of the chapters, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, etc., that was not in the original Bible, uh, those didn't appear to the Middle Ages. And so, uh, in a sense, as you're uh, going through the Bible and reading it, you should try to somehow ignore the, the numbering of the chapters, and, and you'll read it in context a lot better if you do. But the, the, the subject, again, as we left off last week of the end of uh, chapter 11 in Matthew, is rest. Now, if there's anything the world wants, it is that. It's rest. And uh, what the world uh, does is uh, they'll basically do anything for it. And I was reading this article. It's in the, uh, it's in the uh, Economist magazine. And the name of the uh, article is Stressed Out and Traumatized. It says, Americans feel increasingly troubled and the war doesn't help. It says more and more Americans are seeking help for mental problems and many are doing so younger. One study conducted among students at a large Midwestern university uh, between 1988 and 2001 showed a dramatic increase in mental health problems reported by college students. The number seeking help for depression doubled while the number with suicidal tendencies tripled. Another study found that in 2001, 5.5 million more Americans were taking prescription drugs for mental health problems or problems of substance abuse than was the case only five years earlier. It says the National Institute of Mental Health estimates that more than 13% of Americans, over 19 million, suffer from anxiety, 19, I mean 9.5% from depressive disorders, and millions of others of conditions ranging from post-traumatic stress disorder to schizophrenia and bipolar. Now, that, if the truth would be told, the real statistics are far, far worse because those statistics only take into account people who are seeking professional help. And it doesn't include all those people who seek help, who, don't, who never seek help from a professional, but who are desperately trying to find rest in a million other ways. They're trying to find rest in relationships. They're trying to find rest by pouring uh, their life into their jobs or to their school or to their, uh, their in nightclubs or music or entertainment or hobby, yoga, whatever, you know, or, or the millions upon millions that are seeking to find rest in false religion, including aberrant forms of Christianity. We live in a rest 
peaceless, a peaceless society. But so did Jesus. Not too long ago, we were in Matthew 9, verse 36 of Matthew 9. It says that when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion because they were weary. The Greek word there, the other translation would be harassed or distressed. They were harassed and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And that was the multitudes. That was the crowds. That was most of society that he was looking at. The multitude has always been harassed. They've always been distressed. They've always wanted rest. They've always wanted peace. And so we talked last week about how one finds rest in this world. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, Come to me and I will give you rest. But as we talked about, that verse needs to be read with the previous verse, verse 27, where Jesus says, No one knows the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So if we link these verses together, verse 28 could read, Come to me and I will give you rest as I reveal the Father to you. In other words, we only get rest as Jesus reveals the Father to us through his word, through the Holy Spirit. And the people of this world, they're in such a frantic race for rest for, among other reasons, they're just loaded with misconceptions about the Father about God, misconceptions which lead to restlessness in their souls and in our souls, even as we have just misconceptions, wrong thinking about God. For example, many people live with the misconception that God is unknowable, particularly in America today. And think about that. How could anyone rest thinking that God is unknowable. I've read before about adopted, kids who are adopted, and, and they've never met their birth parents, and they get into their later teens or their 20s or whatever, and all of a sudden there's a restlessness that sort of overcomes them. They have to meet their birth parent. And so they, they meet their birth parent, and so their lack of peace is sort of laid to rest. But can you imagine living out your life Believing you can never know God, the God who created you, the, the God who gives life purpose and meaning and, 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 and rest. Is it any wonder that there's such a restlessness in the world, in America today, any number why these uh, mental disorders are increasing or doubling every three years? I read one article that said that. Most people operate with the misconception that God can only approach by good people. But the Bible says that no one is good. And the Bible says that all people, of all people, that their hearts are desperately wicked and beyond cure. Now, can you imagine how restless a person is who really believes in their heart that only good people can approach God when deep down inside they know they're not good and, and so that, therefore they can't approach God. Many people operate with the misconception that God requires that man pay the penalty for his own sin. 
that for each sin he commit, commits, he a debit is created which must be paid by him or her. Well, considering how often people sin, I mean, think about it. The Bible says that lying, cheating, and stealing is sin. It also says that thinking about lying, cheating, and stealing is sin. So if you think about everything the Bible says is sin, I mean, I'd be doing a great job if I only sinned three times in one day. I'd be an angel. But over a year, that's a thousand sins. Over, over in the life of an 80-year-old, that's 80,000 sins. And can you imagine, you know, at the 80,000 debts you have to pay off to God. Can you imagine the restlessness of someone who believes they have to pay their own debts? So this is why our society is so restless, so peaceless. And so that is why the, uh, so the world is loaded with misconceptions of God such as these, and that is why Jesus looked over the multitude and saw that they were distressed and scattered. And that is why he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me and I will give you rest as I reveal the Father to you, as I take away these misconceptions and I fill you with the knowledge of who God is. And so uh, Jesus uh, takes away the misconception that God is unknowable. Tonight we'll be in Deuteronomy, and we're going to be in a a very uh, sort of famous verse in Deuteronomy. It's quoted in Romans uh, chapter 10, where uh, it says in, in Deuteronomy 30, it says, Do not think that the word of God is too mysterious for you, or that is far off or that it is heaven and and not on earth, or that it is beyond the sea. In fact, it is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart that you may do it. Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 10 to demonstrate how easy it is to come to a knowledge of God. Jesus takes away that misconception that God is unknowable. He takes away the misconception that only good people can approach God. He takes away the misconception that uh, you must pay uh, God back for all your sins, that, that only Jesus can. And so that's what happens when, when Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. It's just not sort of come to Jesus and sort of hang out and do nothing. No, it's through the word of God, getting to know who the Father is. If you don't know God, there's no way you can have rest. And so, as you come to Jesus, these misconceptions are worked out of your life. And of course, in addition to telling you what God is not, Jesus tells you what God is. He's abounding in grace. He's abounding in grace. And it is not burdensome following Him. His His yoke is easy and his burden is light. A yoke is what a farmer puts on oxen uh, to, and and so what happens is is they hitch the the, the plow up to the yoke, and uh, many yokes were burdensome and they were heavy. And so Jesus says, not so when you are living for me, my yoke is easy. Talk about a misconception, that misconception that it's, it's just a hard, burdensome thing to follow Christ. No, Jesus takes that away. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Imagine a person in your life who just, they want to love you. They want to serve you. They want to bless you. When you're around them, they love to just put you at ease, to make you comfortable, to do the things that gives your, your soul rest. Stephanie's mother is like that. She's just a wonderful, hospitable, 
woman. I mean, you know, I hear the jokes about mother-in-laws, and I just don't understand them because my mother-in-law is just an angel. But she's like that. She, when you're around her, she just puts you at rest. She, put, she makes you feel comfortable. Well, imagine God. Imagine God. I mean, Stephanie's mother is a Christian. She has just a tiny portion of what the Lord has in his house. And, and so hanging out with him, he more than ever, anyone, he just wants to love you, to serve you, to bless you, to put you at ease, to put your soul at rest. And, and so these are the types of things that Jesus will reveal to you as you come to him. And he reveals who the Father really is does away with all the misconceptions and pours into your heart who God really is. And that's why we go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse on Sunday morning. Because we believe at Calvary Chapel it's the only real way to build people up and give them rest is to take them through the Bible. So with all that in mind, we come to verse 1 of chapter 12. And verse 1 of chapter 12 says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath the rest, the Sabbath rest. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Now, without a proper understanding of the Old Testament, you might think that the disciples were stealing. Not so. According to Old Testament law, uh, I believe it's Deuteronomy 23 and 24, which we've just been through actually on Sunday night, it says that you, anyone, had the right to go into another person's wheat field and and eat wheat, another person's uh, vineyard and eat grapes, and, or another person's olive orchard and, and eat olives, provided that you didn't put anything in your pocket. In other words, you could only eat to satisfy your hunger, but you couldn't, uh, you couldn't harvest. You couldn't harvest anything. Not only that, if you were a farmer, you could only harvest once. Anything you miss, you had to leave there. And Anything that was not ripe, you had to leave there. If there were 10% of your olives were not ripe and you shook your tree and all those olive tre- olives came down, you couldn't go back and shake that tree again in two weeks. That was for the poor. It was also the principle that nothing was, was theirs. It was God's to do with what he wanted. The same principle, by the way, in, in a Christian's life. But anyway, in, in verse 1, Jesus and his disciples are doing what was very normal. This would have been a very common scene uh, at the time. It's a scene that you actually see in the book of Ruth uh, as well, where uh, Ruth is going through uh, Boaz's uh, fields, doing the same thing. And what they were doing, they were just getting the heads of grain. They were rubbing the head of grain between their fingers and uh, plucking out the kernel of grain and popping it into their mouth. I understand it's not that bad, but uh, that's what they were doing. And it says in verse 2, it says, the Pharisees saw it and they said to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were not saying the disciples couldn't go through the fields and get something to eat. That was very clear for the reasons I just said. They were saying that it was unlawful for them to do that, to do what they were doing on the Sabbath. They were wrong. There was no such law in the Old Testament. The Old Testament simply said, cease from your work on the Sabbath. However, 
the Pharisees were not satisfied with that, and they made up hundreds of laws interpreting what uh, do not work means. And so among that was picking something and eating it. That was, that was work. And a book written by Jewish scribes called the Book of Jubilees, it was written before the time of Jesus, many of these laws uh, are found. I will read some of them to you. This is from the Book of Jubilees. Whoever lies with his wife, in other words, having sex, or plans to do anything on the Sabbath, or plans to set out on a journey, or contemplates, so even thinking about work is forbidden. Whoever plans to buy, so not only buying, but planning to buy, or sell, or draw water, or lifting a burden is condemned. Now, a burden was anything that weighed more than two figs. Now, who came up with that? I don't know. Some, you can just imagine some guy with a, at night with a candle burning in front of him. You know, what's a burden? Two figs. You know, he's eating figs. And so that's what that was written into the law. It was anything, lifting a burden would result in your condemnation, which, by the way, condemnation meant death in the Old Testament. Any man who does, who does any work on the Sabbath, whether, whether it's in his house or any place, or who goes on a journey or tills a farm, or any man who lights a fire or rides a beast or travels by ship or sea or strikes or kills anything, including an insect, by the way, any man who, or, who catches an animal, a bird or a fish, any man who fasts or makes war shall die. And so in the time of the Maccabees, uh, Antiochus, I believe that was his name, he just went through on the Sabbath and just slaughtered the Jews who refused out of conviction to fight on the Sabbath. That's how uh, pervasive the law was. These laws were complex. They were far-reaching. They were very hard to understand. And, and they were pervasive. So with that background, it shouldn't surprise any of us that what uh, that uh, going into a field and uh, plucking a head of grain from a stalk of wheat and rubbing it against your fingers and putting it in your mouth was forbidden. It was work prohibited on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees saw Jesus' disciples doing this and they said, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful. So what does Jesus say? Verse 3, he says, but Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. And so what, ha what he's talking about there is in the Old Testament, priests put 12 loaves in the temple each, uh, each Sabbath, and the, the 12 loaves represented the 12 uh, tribes of Israel and how faithful God had been to provide for those tribes. And um, at the end of seven days, those 12 loaves were removed, replaced by other another 12 loaves. But the 12 loaves that were being taken off the altar or out of the Holy of Holies, those were given as the priests uh, to the priests to eat. And it was unlawful. It was, in fact, unlawful for anyone but the priest to eat. Now, King David was not a priest. And what was going on is King David was fleeing King Saul who was trying to kill him. And he had, he actually, he, King Saul pursued David for 10 years. 10 years. And, and he would 
often wind up in the middle of nowhere. And, and in, in, in this, Jesus is referring to a time where he was in the middle of nowhere. He, he and his men were famished, and he went uh, to the tabernacle, and the priest gave him the showbread. He gave him the consecrated uh, bread, and there's not anything there which says what the priest did or what David did was wrong. The principle is obvious. People fight and argue trying to rationalize what David did and say how it was really not lawful. It was unlawful, but the principle is obvious. The law was established for the people, not to starve the people. It's really easy, right? I mean, if the people were starving, the purpose of God's law was not to push them into starvation. So the priests gave David the bread. And so Jesus continues in verse 5. He says, Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temples profane the Sabbath and are blameless? What he's talking about there is that on the Sabbath the priests offered sacrifices. They had to help kill, for example, a lamb, skin a lamb. They had to burn the lamb or, or, or certain animals. That's work, particularly in the middle of the day in the Middle East. And Jesus is saying the priests work on the Sabbath. Again, the, the principle there is, um, uh, is, is very similar to King David eating the showbread. The whole purpose of the Sabbath law was for God to bless the people. To, to, uh, Jesus says in Mark 3 that man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made, was made for a man. And by working on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple were carrying out the purpose of the Sabbath law by blessing the people. And, and so, there, again, the principle is God loves man, and the Sabbath was, uh, was for man. And so, back in... Uh, Again, verse 5, the Pharisees are probably thinking there that, well, you know, it's one thing for priests to work in the temple, but your disciples are just out here in the field. I mean, there's a difference there. And so what does Jesus say in verse 6? Pretty amazing thing to say. I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. And then he goes on in verse um, 8, he says, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, why would Jesus say something like that? Why is he saying that? Well, one of the things, he's basically saying he's God. But, but we're talking about the Sabbath. Why, why, why does he say that in response to the Pharisees' accusations that his disciples are doing something unlawful on the, on the Sabbath? Well, Remember again the end of chapter 11. What is the subject? Rest. What is it that the world wants more than anything else? Rest. And uh, Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. And again, what is it? What, what is the day? Sabbath? It's, it's the day of rest. And, and, and the Sabbath day is the day of rest. And Jesus says again, he says, come to me and I will give you rest or Sabbath. So the Sabbath was about one thing, and that was about man getting to know who Jesus was, and it always had that purpose from the time it was instituted. But what happened is that the Pharisees had themselves desecrated the Sabbath by turning it into a complicated mire of regulations and laws to the point where there is no way that anyone following those laws and trying to pay attention to what they were doing 
would have been thinking anything about God or anything about all the things in the Old Testament that were meant to point them to Christ. The people were spiritually suffocating with all the laws. Can you imagine the weight of all that, all that stuff on the people, the stuff that we just read from the book of, uh, of Jubilees? And remember, not, not only, you were not only, only allowed to do all, not allowed to do all kinds of work, you weren't even allowed to think about it. So not only were you not allowed to lift something which weighed more than two figs, not only were you not allowed to strike or kill an insect, not only were you not allowed to sleep or lie with your wife, you weren't allowed to think about those things. It's like, honey, stay in the kitchen. I don't want to look at you. I may, I may be tempted to work, you know, because thinking about lying with your wife uh, or making love with your wife, that was work. It was prohibited. I mean, can you imagine the bondage? This is all day long. This sort of obsessive kind of, of behavior. And, and so what had happened is that the original purpose of the Sabbath uh, was turned upside down. Now, l- listen to this. This is just so neat. As I was studying for this and was reading through a commentary, the, the Sabbath was supposed to be a time when a Jewish person enjoyed God, a time of rest. Remember that the Sabbath law did not go into effect until after the Jews left Egypt. Remember, in Egypt, they were slaves. And I heard one guy teaching on this subject. I'm not sure where he got this information, but he pointed out that when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, they worked seven days a week, 365 days a year. They didn't have the Sabbath yet. They didn't have holidays, you know, Christmas, Easter, Presents Day, and every, all these other days we get. You know, as slaves, they worked day after day after day after day after day until they died. It's important to understand that the Egyptians didn't care if they died because there was virtually a limitless supply of, of slaves. We know that from, uh, from Exodus chapter uh, 1 that the Egyptians were greatly threatened by the Israelites because they were multiplying so fast. Uh, they were such a, f- a threat that Pharaoh ordered the slave masters to afflict the Israelites. And, but the Bible says that the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. And it says over time the Egyptians grew terrified of the overwhelming number of Jews among them. And so it's true. I'm sure it was true. The Egyptians were not concerned in the least about overworking the Jews to death. On the contrary, working to the, them to death literally working them to death, probably eased their fears. And they were, they were actually carrying out the orders uh, of, of Pharaoh by working them uh, to death, who had ordered them to order the slave masters to afflict them. So understand now, br- let's bring all this together. When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he gave the Israelites the Sabbath day as a gift. It was the most precious awesome gift that God could have given them. It was a day that came around every single week. I mean, can you imagine that after working every day uh, of your life? And, and, and so it came uh, around every single week of the year. Uh, and again, uh, 
uh, now they could stop their work on this day and re- uh, rest and they could rejoice all day. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I was a slave. I was in bondage. I was a miserable wretch. And, and, and you've brought me rest. You've set me free from that slavery, from that, from that labor, and I can rest. That was the original purpose of the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, when Moses is giving the law back to God's people before they went into the promised land, he declared the fourth commandment, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And he went on to say, and remember this is a command, he said, and on that day, remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord freed you with his mighty hand and gave you the Sabbath day. So they were required to remember on the Sabbath. In other words, in their meditation or their worship or whatever, they were required to remember they were slaves. God set them free and gave them rest. Now remember, according to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, according to Jesus himself in Luke 24, everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Jesus himself. The Sabbath day was no exception, the Sabbath law. On the Sabbath day, in accordance with Deuteronomy chapter 5, when the people remembered how they had been redeemed from their slavery in Egypt and how they had been given rest, God was stirring up faith within their hearts that one day the Messiah, Jesus, would free them from their sin and give them rest for eternity. And so in Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, when Jesus is saying these things, these, yeah, again, it's one of these, see these verses, either the guy is God or he's a raving lunatic. I mean, I tell you the truth, one greater than the temple is here. Uh, you know, and then he says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. His point is this, I am the reason for the Sabbath. I was the reason it was established. The Sabbath was put in place uh, to get the Jewish people looking forward to rest in me. And my disciples are eating in these fields so they can serve me, the Lord of the Sabbath. Yes, priests served in the temple, but I am greater than the temple and my disciples are serving me. I love going through the Word because it really stirs up in your heart just worship for who Jesus really is. I tell you, these verses do that. At least for me it does. Matthew chapter 11 ends with verse 40. It says, again, Matthew chapter 11 ends with verse 30. Let's go back to that verse again. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, you know, this is a picture of grace. So let's go from the Old Testament to our New Testament faith. You know, when we come to Jesus, we're released from the law. We're released from the law. We're no longer under the, a burden of, law, of a long list of religious rules. We live in freedom with Jesus. And you know, in my opinion, chapter 12, the first few verses there, it, it's just such a wonderful picture of grace. It's just a, a wonderful picture of how easy the yoke of Christ is, how light the burden is. It says at the time, verse 1 says, at the time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And here's the picture of grace. And his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. 
I guarantee you that every one of those disciples knew full well that walking through a wheat field, plucking heads of grain and eating them was forbidden by the religious authorities. I guarantee you that had been hovering over their heads for a lifetime. But here is this picture of them. They're sort of just, you get this picture, they're just prancing through the fields. And, and you just get the sense they've been freed and, 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 and from all that religious stuff. And, and so rather than starving or miserably hungry because of some man-made law, they are strolling through the field with joy in their hearts, not hiding from God, not ashamed of what they're doing in the presence of their master who is who's giving full approval to what they're doing. They're no longer under the law. They're with Jesus. They're with their master, their Lord, their God. Jesus himself says he who is set free by the Son of Man is, is set free indeed. This is such a picture of that. And, and, and we should really take this in and be in, in mirror our walk with this, walking in the freedom of, the, uh, of grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, there's just such a danger in Christian circles of looking around at other Christians and you see, you know, one Christian, they don't have a TV, they threw it out or blew it up or whatever, they shot at it like Elvis and killed it. There's another Christian that doesn't drink alcohol, there's another Christian that drives around a a beat-up Ford Escort because, you know, more expensive cars are spiritual. So they, uh, you know, kind of like my Nissan Sentra, a real spiritual car, I think. And then they look at another Christian, gets up at 4.30 every morning to read her Bible, and then there's a Christian who hands out gospel tracts every Saturday night. There's a Christian who gives 20% of her salary to the church. There's a, a Christian who wears Jesus shirts everywhere he goes. And on, on his bumper sticker, on his... Uh, uh, fender of his car, there's all these Christian Jesus bumper stickers. And there's this other Christian that carries his Bible everywhere he goes. And, and now all those things involve very important issues that every Christian needs to reckon with. But the danger is, the extreme danger, is that you start looking around at what everyone else is doing and, 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 and you know, you weren't, they're doing those things because they made a decision between them and God to do them. You had nothing to do with that decision, but you take all those things and you force them on yourself. When God never had any intention for, for you to do any of it. But nevertheless, you take all those things and you force them on yourself. And what you do when that happens, you've created your own religion. You've lost sight of grace. You've lost sight of Jesus, your Sabbath rest. You've, you've put yourself under law. You've created, a, again, a religion. You've become the Lord of your own Sabbath. And, you're in your, and you become miserable. And, and just like the people 2,000 years ago trying to obey all the, all the Sabbath laws, you're, just, you, you're no longer even looking or thinking about God. Jesus says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I am your Sabbath rest. Not all that stuff. Get your eyes off that stuff and and get your eyes on me. Talk to me. Worship me. Follow me. Take your eyes off of that. It's really very simple. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let me close with this. It's It's a quote from Oswald Chambers. 
Listen carefully, because this is like 1920s English. And I try to paraphrase it, but you can only paraphrase it so much. This is Oswald Chambers. He has a devotional. This is not actually utmost verse highest. This is another one. But it says here, Who has not met sensitive Christians who are so hyper-conscious of not sinning that they are almost afraid to breathe lest they sin? Such bondage is obviously not in accordance with the New Testament. There is no element of freedom about such a tyrannizing standard of introspective self-judgment. Now listen to this. This is really heavy. Such an attitude is really the result of selfishness. It comes from a glowing pride which turns into a creeping fear. So when you're living in bondage like that, it's really, it's not because you're being real spiritual. It's because it's your pride, and it really is. It's your selfishness and your pride. You want to be able to show the world, and and, and you want to be able to trumpet to your own heart how religious and spiritual you are. So what what Oswald Chambers, sort of the climax of, of, of his devotional here, he says, Perfect love casts out fear. See, as you go to Jesus, Jesus says, Come to me and I will give you rest as I reveal the Father to you. And who is the Father? God is love. God is grace. God is love that will cast out the fear, cast out the need for religion, the need for self-righteousness, the need to justify everything you do every second of the day. And, and you can walk in freedom. You can prance through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And you can pluck the heads of grain and rub them and eat them right in the presence of your master. That's what the day-to-day, hour-by-hour Christian life is really like. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I just pray for everyone in here as we grow in grace that we'll walk the same way. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word because, Lord, it is so freeing. And, God, we just confess to you, I know that I do, Lord God, that even today, Lord, my mind gets boggled down with misconceptions about who you are. And I just pray for me and every person in here, Lord, that you would just take those away, shatter them, and replace them with who you are. God, we believe your word. It says that the purpose for the Sabbath day, for the purpose for every day, Lord, is for us to be blessed by you, Lord, to be loved by you, to serve you, to follow you to rejoice with you. God, we need you to get there. We thank you that your word says that once we become born again, we've been given everything we need for a life in godliness. In other words, by faith, we can get there, Lord. And and I just pray, Lord God, that you will continue to open up our eyes and bless us with, with faith, 
with faith-filled hearts, Lord, to get us to that place of rest with you. We thank you just for that, that place of rest that you brought us to this morning, this, this very minute, Lord. Ministering to our hearts today, we thank you for that, Lord. And I just pray right now that it would continue with all of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you. Uh, wanted to tell you that on Friday night, the men are starting a study in the book of Micah. And my wife, Stephanie, on Wednesday night is taking the women through the book of Ephesians. So uh, take advantage of that if you can. God bless you. If you need prayer, please come up.